Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Becker-Holstein, and I'm back here with Debbie Higgins, and we are going to do another old-time radio show because we all need it desperately. Yes, yes. we do. Yes. yes. We need the nostalgia and the humor, and who knows, the uh, mistakes we'll make. Whatever comes out, it's better than obsessing on whether you're going to get the virus. So, um, we have a lifetime of incredibly ridiculous memories. Yes. And we for some reason, people think they're funny, so that's why we're sharing them. Yes, we're doing all the memories that are fit to print, as my father used to say. And uh, tonight we are starting with a very interesting concept, and that is the concept of the amusement park. And I think that Debbie has something, she's got a show, so I'm going to let Debbie go first. All right, well, I was obsessed with amusement parks, and when I was little, I was always promised to go to Palisades Park, but I never, that was always just like the Mount Olympus, but no one ever took me. But in the area where I lived, which is the shore, the Esbury Park area where everybody knows, um, there were three great parks. The biggest one was right where Home Goods is on 66 was Storyland, which was a village. You know, I, I think it has a sister village down in South Jersey, the land of make-believe, I think it's called, or Storybook Village. But you could see all these fairy tale characters and push buttons and they looked crazy but to us as little kids they looked beautiful and that was there and i was crazy i had to go there whenever my grandmother would take me i drove her nuts and she said she remembers when we left i would go up in the back bucket of the car and lay in the bucket and, and for people that don't know cars used to have a bucket behind the back seat and you put stuff there, or even your family mm -hmm. would go sit in there, which was something. And I used to lay there with my face on the glass crying and say, please, I want to live in Storyland. Don't take me home. <laughs> and down the road was the next place that was wonderful called Cowboy City. And I have a postcard from 1960 from Cowboy City. And it was all cowboys and I'm going to say Indians because that's what we said. I know we have to mm -hmm. say Americans, but now it was Indians. And my friend and brother worked there as bank robbers. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they robbed the bank and they gave all the little kids guns. And when they came out from the bank, we all used our little pistols because we were watching The Lone Ranger and we were watching... Uh, the Rifleman and all those wonderful shows, and we would shoot the bad guy. And the one bad guy always fell off the roof, and nobody knew that there was like a giant trampoline down there to catch him. <laughs> we all thought he was just dead. And then the good guys would ride in with their white hats and their white horses, and that was really fun. And then the last one was out on 33, where Equestra is now. It's a big development. That was called Jungle Land. And it wasn't probably politically correct for the animals, but they were all in cages and you could go see all different things. And people were dressed up like, you know, people in Africa and it was all exciting and drum music. And it was uh, for, to grow up at that time, Barbara. 
Oh my God. I loved every one of those places. And I was lucky enough to have my grandmother take me to all of them. Well, I have some stories too. And I, my stories are a little bit different in slant. You'll see. We lived in New Haven and there was an amusement park called Savin Rock. And that was where my parents, my babu, which is what we call my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, we all went there Sundays. Sundays, we often went to Savin Rock. And when I was very tiny, maybe three years old, maybe three and a half, there was what was called, I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically like a freak place, you know, where they showed very strange people and magicians. Love it. So I, I remember like it was yesterday, sitting on a wooden bench with my mother, and my father was probably with my aunt Lil. They didn't want to come see it. It was boring to them. And sure enough, a magician appeared, and there was the magic box that the beautiful girl was going to lay down in and be stabbed with all these knives and or disappear, whatever. Something was going to happen. And I remember not being at all scared, but I suddenly got incredibly worried. And I, I, there was something on my mind that I couldn't tolerate keeping inside of me. So I said, in just the kind of piercing little voice that a three and a half year old girl has, I said, mommy, how is she going to make a wee wee? <laughs> that was the only thing that was worrying me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was uh, one of the stories. And then as I got a little bit older, my father would seem to be dominating and my mother and my aunt Lil would sit on a bench on the main street and they would watch people. Every type of person in the world would walk along that street, tall, short, fat, thin, old, deformed in some way, whatever. And they, I mean, they, they didn't make fun of anyone. They just loved, there was something about the energy that I don't think they had in the way they were living, the places they lived, to just see strangers, you know, constant strangers. They loved it. And meanwhile, my father would take me to the fun house. And the fun house had a spinning wheel. We would all get on this giant, giant wheel that was probably like 20 feet in diameter. Uh, and they would start to spin it. And the whole point was how long you could stay on it before you slid off. And then, you know, I'd laugh and my father was there to grab me. It was, you know, like a sort of enchanted moment. And then when you left the fun house, you went down a kind of magic carpet. You know, you were sitting, uh, I guess it was kind of a sack on, on a rug or something, yeah. you know. And of course, they had flying horses across the street. And the ring, to get the ring. Yeah. What was it, a gold ring or a silver ring? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they always had that one ring that if you got it, you got the free ride. Right. So that was my New Haven story. Do you have another amusement story? Well, first of all, I was raised by Asbury Park. And Asbury Park in the 1950s and 60s, of course, it wasn't, you know, 
back in the past when everything was built, but it was just so much fun. We had a great fun house and about the thing where you spun on, <laughs> I mean, there were things that now would be so considered so insurance <laughs> risky. And of course, everybody loved the thing where it blew your skirt up. That was great, you know? And we had sure. a carousel, which was beautiful, hand-carved, gorgeous. They should have never gotten rid of them. No. We had the giant, and he was called the giant. This is, everything was politically incorrect, I guess. He was a big, fat man that you could get the, grab the ring from him, and it was gold. And then sometimes they had a, a little thing that stuck out, and you, you could have a spear and get on there and try to ah. get the ring. So, and we had a fun house and the room was all akimbo crazy yeah. and purple. And, and then the roundup was a ride where you'd get sick. I mean, you got off. That was your last ride of the day because when you got off, you were going to throw up. You had popcorn <laughs> and cotton candy. But Asbury Park was just marvelous in the day. Just beautiful and fun. I, I hate that people miss out on those wonderful amusements. I know. I know. Well, I have a slightly pathetic story, but it's, it's worth telling because I'm going to, I enjoy always telling it. And that is when we moved to Bridgeport, there was a much smaller amusement park, but uh, still, you know, typical with a Ferris wheel, all the usual stuff. Well, when I was 11 and a half, we were moving to Norwalk. So the neighbor down the street gave me a farewell party, and she uh, invited about five girls, including her daughter. So maybe there were six of us total. And she made chicken pot pie and macaroni and cheese and some sort of Reese's uh, peanut butter cups. And, and the girls gave me presents. I mean, it was very sweet. Then she gave everyone money so we could go out and take the public bus down to the amusement park and get on some rides and come home. So, I mean, she was just the nicest woman. However, okay, so I'm skipping ahead. So we get on the bus. Kids are all laughing hysterically. You can imagine 11-year-old girls with money in their pockets, all excited. And as we're going on this 20 to 25-minute ride way down to the other end of the city, I'm getting sicker and sicker. I have this horrible pain in my right side. And I was smart enough to know that I couldn't get off that bus to go to amusements. So as, we, as the bus stopped, the girls are getting off all laughing and giggling. Barbara, where are you? Come on, come on. And I was saying, bye, I'm a stomach ache. I'm going to go home. So I had to take the bus 25 minutes home. And to top off that, my mother was in college. So when I got off the bus, I had the key around my neck. There was no one in the house. I had, I'm lying in the bed in acute pain, just sort of got in a position where the pain was like 20% less, less for like an hour and a half till my mother came home. No cell phones, you know. And um, the doctor came to the house in those days. He gave me a shot to take away the pain, but no one knew that my appendix was brewing toward a bursting situation, which happened. It actually started to burst when another doctor who in the new town in Norwalk realized what was going on and got me to the hospital in time. Wow. So um, that was my story. Oh, and since then, never in my life 
have I ever put a bite of chicken pot pie in my mouth. Never. Never. It traumatized you. It traumatized me to the point where I I couldn't even, I can't, can't, can't. That's unbelievable. Isn't that funny? Yeah. We remember things so vividly when we're children. I mean, it was just, you know, every experience was so great. And uh, I wanted to say another thing, which is interesting about uh, Keensburg. Keensburg had the last dark ride in America. Uh, it was taken down just two years ago. And a dark ride is like the tunnel of love. Where oh. You car and you'd go through and faces would pop out. And little things would happen. And that was, that was from like the 1920s. And finally, they shut it down. And, uh, you know, it was one of my bucket list things to get up there and ride on it. But sadly, I never got the chance. So, Well... Maybe it's time to put in a little miracle story that partly ties into the amusement parks. My children were about 8 and 14, and we went down to uh, Disney World. I mean, how could you not go to Disney World if you had kids, at least in those days? You you know, uh, it was on the list. Well, the way we went to Disneyland is wait which one is in florida disney world that's disney world is that my husband and i had entered some sort of auction and guess what we won five nights in a free motel near disney world wow okay get to the hotel and i am telling you if it was more than 20 feet from a turnpike with trucks (laughs) okay the noise level was unbearable And to top it off, there were little insects in the room. Now, nobody thought about bed bugs in those days or anything, but there were some creatures. I was furious because I knew this was the kind of thing my husband loved. It's free. It's free, you know? So we spent one night, and the kids were crabbing and everything, and uh, we went off to the park. And I had had some dental surgery, so I was like taking Tylenol. I mean, I was not at my best. And I was already really down on uh, these arrangements. And we're walking through the park. We're starting on the rides and stuff. And I'm thinking, I actually turned away from my family and I prayed to God. I said, I don't know if I can stand two or three more nights in this motel. Please, dear God, do something. And then I heard Justin, his little voice, he was seven or eight, saying, my teacher's here, my teacher's here. And he runs up and puts his arms around one of his teachers. And what happened was the teacher is telling us that her, I think it was her husband's mother or father was very sick and they had to leave their hotel on the campus of um, Disney World and uh, they just were going to leave. And I said, oh, you're going to leave? Could we take your room? And um, she said, well, I guess. I mean, we checked in and they said, you always have to check in. A, but you, you could be, take our name. And if you send us a check, I don't see why. We were just going to lose the money. Right. So all of a sudden, the world opened up. That is an education miracle. Yes, it was. I mean, we went back, we packed the suitcases, we set ourselves up in one of these lovely resort hotels on the grounds, and everybody was like, 
elated, gorgeous swimming pool, great food. It's a little trolley or whatever it was that took you could get on right from there and go to the park. Nice. I, I consider that a miracle, a moment of a miracle. That's great. Was that one of the hotels at Disney that you were able to get into? Yeah. Which one was it? Do you well, remember? I don't, I would recognize the name. It was sort of, uh, it wasn't the most palatial. It was sort of geared to children. Like they had the characters walking around and stuff. Okay. Yeah. And Doesn't I know. Matter. It was clean with no bugs. Oh God, was it clean. Yes. That's very cool. That's a nice story. Yeah. Well, I, don't feel, I don't have any vacation miracle stories. I, I really don't. So maybe we want to, you want to tell another one or, or? No, well, I don't have another one, but we're going to talk about uh, either late teens and or early marriage. As I said, all, the, all that's fit to print. And um, I want to just tell a very short story that hopefully will make everyone with, with children or just themselves feel that it's okay to be a little bit nuts. Because this is a story about me being a little bit nuts. Okay. Uh, we were in Brookline visiting my other grandmother, my mother and I. I was somewhere between 17 and 19. I don't know exactly where the, I was. But I was furious at my mother. And I can tell you, I had no good reason. She was one of the pleasant easiest mothers. All the kids loved her. She was funny. She was warm. I was just being a horrible teenager. And my poor grandmother was kind of sitting there because she probably felt horrible for her own daughter and kind of disappointed in me. And we, and I just was getting worse and worse. And you could feel, you know how like when you feel red in your head, you're going in a rage, you can feel it creeping up. So we get near the traffic light, and even before the traffic light, I jump out of the car. <laughs> well, to my mother and grandmother, this is like, oh, my God, we've brought up a monster, and, you know, she's going to kill herself. She'll run into the traffic. So my mother was very smart. She went slowly down about a block and found a space to park and just, just parked. Meanwhile, when I, by the time I walked the whole block, I was ready to get back into the car. So I just got back in. And um, I don't remember if I had the grace to apologize. I was probably sitting there silently. It was done. So I hope that that helps people see, you know, we're living in a time where we can get angry or we can just spike a mood because when things are just shuffled around and we don't have our consistent patterns, it's, it's difficult. So I don't know if you ever went crazy, but that's, you know. Well, I'm, all, I'm always crazy, but I'm going to tell my, <laughs> my marriage story that springs into my mind. Um, and the difference between men and women, which is really funny. Um, my husband was the type of guy, I had the greatest marriage. Unfortunately, the people listening to this, he's deceased. Uh, but we had a wonderful marriage. But when I was younger... Uh, he would let me, I would get very, very emotional. And the less he reacted, the more crazy I would get and emotional. So we had a fight one time and uh, I was so mad at him. And I went on and on and on and on to where his ears were probably bleeding. He had like, you know, boxer's ears. 
And finally, I said, kind of like you jumping out of the car, I said, I'm hitchhiking. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> married and in our house. And I said, I'm hitchhiking away. Like, ridiculous. I'm going to go out and get some man to pick me up and, you know, spirit me away and protect me and love me while he's a rotten thing sitting there. So I was crying and I go outside and I, I always had horses. So I had a big horse trailer and it was out in the yard and the cars were whipping by because we lived on a, our first home was kind of on a busy road. So I went in the horse trailer and I figured he would think that I just hitchhiked away and I was gone because there were no sidewalks. I just got a ride for some prince who picked me up. You know? <laughs> I was wonderful and I was in distress. So I went in the horse trailer, which was clean because I always cleaned it out after a horse show. And I sat in there for probably an hour to two hours. And finally, you know, I wanted to go to bed. I wanted to go in the house. It was, you know, it wasn't cold, but I just said, well, this is ridiculous. You know, I don't, I didn't even know if he came out to look for me because I was hiding in this horse trailer. So uh, we had a one story house and I got out and I'm sneaking around going through the bushes and I look in the window and there he is eating a bowl of cereal, <laughs> laughing at a situation comedy, not even thinking where I am. So I walked in the house, I walked to him, and he turned to me, and as quietly as he could say, you are insane. And that was my <laughs> marriage story. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Well, it's dramatic when you're younger, you know? I mean, I oh, yes. It, but, you know, not as yes. I I found that most of the time, uh, if uh, we had a fight, Russell really didn't really notice. So uh, that's another, you know, it wasn't worth the energy most of the time. But I have an interesting young marriage story. Is this the Russell, one about the bed? I want to hear it. I yeah. Want okay. Oh, great. I love so, it. So first of all. Uh, I insisted. You see, I thought I was sort of ritzy. I thought I was classy. I don't know what I thought. But, you know, I, my mother said, you can't marry him unless he gives you a diamond. You know, that's and you have to have a cleaning lady. If, if, if there's not going to be a cleaning lady, he's the wrong guy. You know, I had these notions in my head. So even though we were both graduate students and really living on very little money that we both earned in, in our in jobs, I insisted we had to go away. We had a vacation. We could go to Canada, which we both agreed. And um, we actually had a, a camper, a Volkswagen camper. So that was going to be almost, you know, nothing. But that wasn't good enough for Barbara. We had to stay in a ritzy hotel for two nights so that I knew I was in a nice place. So we're way up in Canada, somewhere above Montreal. And we stayed in I don't know if you know, um, like Mohonk Mountain House, you know, there's some oh, classy yeah. older places. Oh, yeah, well, it was a, yeah. yeah, it was a cla classy older hotel. And the waiter was always serving us. He had a cloth dra draped on his arm. And every time we moved, like there was new silverware. And, you know, I mean, it was really pomp and circumstance for two nights. So, okay, I got my wish. Russell was a little rumbling about it, but it was a reasonably good sport. We leave their place. Within about 45 minutes, I start to throw up on the side of the road. Oh my God. I'm getting sick. 
I am getting really sick. Hardly made it to four or five gas station bathrooms for other issues. I was really sick. There were no facilities anywhere except these old little couple of old gasoline stations. We cross into Maine. Maine is pretty bleak in the top of Maine. There isn't much there. We must have driven six or seven hours. It was horrible. We asked someone where the next town was. That was maybe 20 miles away. We made it to the town, asked someone else if there was a doctor in town. They said, yes, they directed us. We went to the doctor's house. He was eating dinner with his family, but he took me in, went into the, uh, the part of the house where he saw people, examined me briefly, and he said, uh, I'm certain you have food poisoning. You have to be hospitalized. You're very dehydrated. And I said a question, of the, and then the answer that has stayed with me the rest of my life, I said, how far is the hospital? And he said, about 22 miles. And I said, I don't think I can make it. And he said, you have to. And those were such profound words in my life. Anyway, we made it. Old fashioned small hospital. They admit me. I've got the IV going. I've got some painkillers. I'm in a room with a woman dying next to me. Okay. She's in, the, she's in the last throes of death. I hear her all night. Yeah, I couldn't sleep well. I mean, I was still pretty sick. And um, in the morning, it got suddenly very quiet. So I kind of knew that, you know, she was gone. And then they wheeled her out, you know. Well, meanwhile, my husband, Russell, had slept in the uh, Volkswagen camper, uh, I think, uh, down in the parking lot. And he came. He was looking for his wife, you know. And so he comes up to my room. No one was really checking, very informal. And he sees an empty bed. So he says, I'm going to lie down in it. I said, well, she just died. He says, well, she's gone. (laughs) So he lies down in the bed. They come, they find him. They sort of, you know, he got sort of an evil look from the staff. But finally, uh, you know, he said he didn't feel well either. And they said, all right. You can be admitted. I mean, he was admitted like by lying in the bed. There was no, oh not God. like today, you know. Good old day. Well, they would have charged him $9,000. Yeah. Right. Overnight. yeah. So um, this big, big boy, man comes in, a male nurse, and immediately takes my husband's temperature, temperature rectally. <laughs> and then he comes back about an hour later with a pill, a giant pill. <laughs> And Russell, you know, was kind of confused. He didn't feel great. And um, so he took the pill. You know, what do you do when some guy, this giant guy says, take this? And then later we figured out that that probably belonged to the woman that had died. I mean, we don't know how he, (laughs) how could he have got a pill that fast? So we stayed the moral of that story is don't eat <laughs> fancy places. Right. right. That's right. right. That's right. right. So the next day we came home. He never got fully sick. It was probably anxiety and being upset. And five days later, we moved to a new, bigger apartment. But we were young. We did it. And that was the thinnest I have ever been since I got married. Wow. Because that's not, I, that my 
you know, when you really have food poisoning, you have to be careful for months because um, you're, everything's very irritated. Maybe not today with the better drugs and stuff, but, yeah. you know, uh, you had to just be careful. Boy, so, I, tell you, I miss the days when um, you could go to the doctor's house. I remember that. Or calling the doctor and he come to your house. Yeah. That was great. And a lot of the doctors were such good diagnosticians. They just look at you and know what was wrong. That's I mean, right. Yeah. I, I miss that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Now try to get into a hospital bed today, you know? Oh, my God. Like, you know, God knows they would take Russell down for an operation or something. <laughs> oh, no. oh, wow. Well, Those are good stories. Um, you know, the youth, our youth. We, we did a lot of things. I don't know what else you want to cover uh, tonight. Well, I, I think if you have, uh, let's see if I can think of anything that, else that was kind of a miracle story. It's so uplifting. Um, I think sometimes we don't realize that we're having a miracle story, you know, till later when you look back and you say, wow, I can't believe that, you know, I just ran into the right person at the right time exactly. and the doors opened for me, right. you know, yeah. and, um, it happens a lot. I, I think it's good if you can notice it. Um, I'm thinking of my... <laughs> This is not, well, this is the tiny miracle that just makes your day. I remember when my mother and father went to New York to go to an auction house, they were going to buy a piece of furniture that a wealthy cousin who was emptying his small mansion had, had encouraged them. They knew my mother loved the piece. And they said, if you come, uh, this man had said, I'll kind of make sure you get this particular piece. I wasn't there, so I don't exactly know how it went, but I guess he signaled the auctioneer to, you know, do the one, two, three. Right. And the same day that they got the, they still had to pay, but a much more, you know, a reason, he gave them a break. Let's put it that way, the family break. And uh, the same day, they're walking down Fifth Avenue and a $10 bill, which would probably be, 25 to 50 dollars now yeah. floated right in front of my father um, uh, it just made his world you know that kind of thing yeah so that's like i mean that's a tiny thing but you can say well it's a coincidence or you can say it's more than a coincidence we don't know no one can prove it either way you know but i think during the pandemic just seeing what has happened in your favor during these days is really good for the soul, you know, because it's not, it's not all bad day to day, you know, of course it is bad if you're sick. I'm not trying to trivialize it, right. but um, a lot of people have told me that they feel in touch with themselves and their neighborhood and um, like a comfort of being, closer to their own, their own selves. We're so frantic, we kind of leave ourselves, you know, right. the way we run around. Right. And the way, you know, the, the way the political climate is in America now and COVID and things that we really can't count on, I think we're finding more comfort in hearth and home, you know? Yeah. 
And, and I think so. We talked about that on our first show, like people are cooking and baking and not as frantically as they were. I think in the beginning, everybody put on like 15 pounds because everybody was eating and, and stress eating. But I think now it's just even, I know we can talk about 4th of July a little bit. Um, I, I love fireworks. I circle all the pla- places in the newspaper and I drive from one to the other and I love to, I know the names of the fireworks and I'm like George Plimpton, you know, I read his book and I love the fireworks stuff. And it was kind of sad for me to not have that, even though in my neighborhood, people were setting them off like crazy, but I have a big trees here and I could, I could hear them, but I couldn't really see them. But, um, you know, it felt, it felt different. I think for everybody this year, it was it was something where you really, really thought about the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Now, rather than just the running, the hot dogs, the, you know, the beach club, the this, the that. And um, I felt it very personal, you know. And all my neighbors came out on the street when they heard the fireworks. And we were all standing in our street, which is very, you know, nobody comes down our street, but people that live in our street. And we were all talking to each other. It was like old-fashioned community, which was nice, yes. you know? Oh, so, that's so, so yeah, meaningful. Nice. I, I think I never had a big history around the 4th of July or fireworks. I know when I was young, my parents would make a little barbecue, that kind of thing. And uh, we've gone to local fireworks around here. Um, but I think that one of the things that struck me was my sister Diane was sent around something today where it was a listing of the ages of the people that signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, these were all leaders of their day in one way or another, either elected to, uh, you know, the the states that, I don't know if they were states yet, but whatever they were, they had off, you know, officials like, anywhere else, or they were important for one reason or another. And so many of them were between 15 and 20 years old. Now, there were also those that were in their 30s and uh, a couple like in their 70s. But um, I was thinking to myself, if only we could encourage and help people, you know, even 14 plus to better understand what makes a democracy function well, and to go back and study some of the original, uh, not only writings, but understand what it was like to make a country. And of course, to also, once you're doing that, realize that there's always going to be problems and cruelty in, in carving out new places. And some of it you hope will never happen again, of course, and there should be rep- things should get better if possible for the descendants. But the point is that anything that is so complicated and difficult is almost a miracle that gets created in the first place. Right. Um, and I feel it's very, very. I would like to just say of all the things that I wish would come back for kids and and people in our country that I think would be helpful would be the old-fashioned ninth grade civics course. I took civics in ninth grade. I think it was a whole year. 
yeah. could be done in, you yeah. know, that course really helped me understand the three different parts of the government, um, the, uh, demo how democracy works, and, um, you know, we play acted it, you know, you, one day you'd be a judge, another day you'd come in, you have to play the part of a senator or uh, another policeman, I mean, whatever. You know, you got to play different roles. There was just, a lot of it was fun, but I think when they took that course away as a requirement, it's much harder. I mean, if I were in ninth grade now, I'm not going to go to the li uh, library or on the internet and read up about, you know, the, the early forms of democracy. No, no. Mm -mm. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like close to my heart, too. And I was in my show business career. I did a regional tour as Martha Jefferson in the play 1770. Oh, wow. And I loved the show. And if anybody has ever seen the film, it's a marvelous film. Just a great film, I think. Well, it's my favorite musical of all time, not just because I was in it, but it just teaches history. And the whole thing was actually um, written, taken from the letters of um, Abigail Adams and John Adams. Mm -hmm. And uh, really amazing stuff. And uh, I, I, love, I love the play. And, I, and, and they, as you said about the gentlemen in Congress, they were the cream of the colonies. And there were some women that right. signed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it, it was an amazing time. And... Um, Fourth of July was always a big deal. We always had a big party every year. We really had a blowout. We had a, a pig, a big suckling pig, and we had um, venison too. And we had, that was our big party every year, my husband and I, and we'd, we'd go wild and it was really a lot of fun. So, you know, things change over the years, but, um, you know, I watched the fireworks from New York, which was amazing with them coming out of the Empire State Building. I don't know how they did that. That was great. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, fabulous. Onward. So I think that um, I do feel a little nostalgic. Uh, yes, and I think I would like to um, just encourage people, have a good laugh over the stupid things that you've done. Maybe with a girlfriend, a guy, or your husband, a grandparent, I mean, don't be afraid to admit the stupid things because they're funny and we get such a kick out of sharing them. You know, uh, I'm just thinking, and I won't deviate too much, but I was clumsy, I think, from a year old, my mother said, because I fell on my head, you know. Anyway, I remember my parents had a dinner party and I was trying to serve and help serve. And I dropped, you know, the whole salad on someone's lap and, I was just unequipped. We had a lot of good laughs over that stuff, you know? And I think everybody's got their little secret things in there that we get ashamed or embarrassed, but hey, we're older, we're only getting older. You know, enjoy the bad, the good, you know, don't feel too intimidated to have a good laugh over stuff. Right. And people are the most popular, the ones that can make fun of themselves. I, really yeah. I mean, you have to be able to make fun of yourselves and be, you know, yeah, a good thing. <laughs> and uh, trust in our country. There's a lot of great people all over the country trying to make not only solutions on the pandemic, 
but trying to make the country compatible with themselves, all of us, not against each other, trying to make it the way it can be and should be as the star of the earth, really, in terms of having achieved a democracy that is, I'll say, reasonably functional, which is pretty good. And we have to really, I mean, God bless America. I agree with uh, Trump, God bless America. He says it many times, um, you know, that, um, and it was my grandmother's favorite song and I sat on her lap and she would sing it. So it has special meaning to me. So, you know, but yes, let's make the most of living together and enjoying life at its fullest, even in hard times. Well, I want to just say to our listeners out there, and we are gathering listeners, which is a nice thing. If anybody has any topic that they'd like us to talk mm-hmm. about on our Facebook page when we're, we post it, just please write underneath. That's something that you'd like to talk about or if we remember something. Because, um, you know, that's, that's fun. That's what we love to talk about. And there might be something we completely forget about. And you're going to trigger something that we, we can share. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So give us ideas. Or if you don't, we're just going to come up with our own. Yeah, we've got a storehouse of them. And, uh, you know, we're here. I'll I'll say my uh, major uh, place on the web is EnchantedSelf.com. And if you write to me at Barbara.Holstein at gmail.com, I will answer. And Debbie... You have, um, yeah, I run the Jersey Shore. Yeah, you can contact me through that or on the IMDb under Deborah Stor- Debbie Stores Higgins. Um, everybody, you know, on Higgy's 42 at AOL.com, please write to us and give us ideas or shares or however you feel about everything. Um, Barbara's a great psychologist, she's she knows the workings of the mind like nobody's business. She's a wonderful woman, my friend. Even Keel, we think alike. <laughs> and, uh, I'm in the movie business now, and, and I want to also plug our film festival, which is going on yes. August 7th, uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursday nights. Uh, please go to JerseyShoreFilmFestival.com, and Barbara's movie is showing in, in, uh, in I think it's tomorrow, Barbara? I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, I need to know. Yeah. Uh, but go uh, on the site. All the films are listed. And, um, you know, and we have Q&As and classes. We have a filmmakers networking class on um, Wednesday at 6 p.m. And I just want to make a plug for selfies in terms of the pandemic, because selfies are my specialty. Selfies as drama and as uh, points of discussion. And I am looking for your pandemic story. And uh, if you get in touch with me, through barbara.holstein at gmail.com. And you can make a selfie of what's good, what's bad, what's happening to you in the pandemic. It will go up on my film, selfie filmmaker site. And we'll, we're all, we'll all be historians in the process. So I'm excited. And I, the Jersey Festival, the Jersey Shore Festival is probably the most fun festival I've ever had my films in. And um, they're doing a great job virtually. You know, you wonder, will it work? Well, it is working because they set it up in a way, Debbie is often the hostess 
and um, you get to meet other filmmakers and see great films in the comfort of your own home. It's not so bad. It's, it's working. Also, I want to plug, um, we're doing a play. We were going to film a movie. Because of Corona, we were not able to do it. So we've modified the script a bit that was written by Francesco Nuzzi. And we are in rehearsal for it. It's like an old time um, kind of a radio play. And um, we, we're going to be doing that very shortly. And Barbara is the director of that. And I hope everybody tunes in and we will let you know because that's really good about a relationship. Yeah. And it, uh, it is based on the girl in my two books, The Truth and Secrets. And she's now in her 30s and she's having problems in her marriage. So it's very, very pertinent to many, many people. Um, you know, some of the things that she faces are almost universal as we try to adapt to a partner. So it's going to be fun. So I guess we're done for now. And yeah, I hope some people will write. Maybe they'll even share some stories. And that's great. So great. And we'll see you next time. Probably yeah. in a couple of weeks. We'll have yeah, two stuff. weeks. We're so, hoping to do it every two weeks. Yeah, we'll let people know. And until then, everybody keep safe and sane and make some memories. Yes. Bye <laughs> for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.